is a country beyond that which is known to humankind. A stray country. A country that exists west of October. Whose borders are somewhere between midnight train whistles and the distant hell of a dog. A country that lies somewhere in the stitched and jittering static between radio stations. A country that drifts to America like a traveling salesman. But every now and then stops to nest on a small town. A small church. A single street. And maybe, just maybe, some kind of delayed radio broadcast you've stuffed in your ears. Chapter 22 Like a fly with broken wings trying to fly. Can't believe that guy? Jack huffed. Just jealous he has to clean up after some kids like some kind of second-rate mother. Jack thundered through the small mortuary suburbanania, forested by a hundred different black and white silent film houses chain smoking into the season. Just pissed he spent all his money on cigarettes instead of going to college. Billy had to run to keep up. Angry because he gets how dumb he is, mopping and brooming up, picking up after a bunch of kids who are stuffing all sorts of stuff in their brains so they don't have to break their backs like him. Jack's strides were not quite a run, not quite a walk. More like a walk, laundered in fire. And what he said about Dad, like banking is a bad thing? Banks make the world go round, buddy. If it weren't for the banks, you wouldn't have a house or a car. If it weren't for the banks, how could anyone save money? Because, yeah, banks are the counterweight to keep the world balanced. It's crooked and wobbles, but the banks are building the right spots to smooth out the spin of the world. And look what happened when banks go away for crying out loud. Look at the Great Depression. Full of people sleeping in streets and people trying to make alcohol out of old furniture and poisoning themselves blind and dead. And why? All because the 30s was a decade when men lost sight of what helped the world spin and take the banks away and you get a world that's drunk and lazy. And what's all this talk about money being barren and making it breed is bad? Why? You know what's bad? Not breeding at all. Like the Catholics, with their priests and nuns, and we both know God wants us to multiply and replenish the earth, says so in the Bible. So what's this stupid idea that money shouldn't breed? And what a nut job, because money can't breed, doesn't have the stuff, only animals and insects and, you know, things with Wilbur's can breed. And what was the word he said? User E? User V? What does it even? Jack's voice fell into his stomach. He stopped talking. He stopped walking. Behind him, Billy stood still. Because suddenly, yes, very, very suddenly, the boys were alone in the dark. Not that they hadn't been alone in the dark, but now the boys knew they were alone in the dark. In the midst of a suburban wilderness, standing in a coffin-sized spit of light. The high street light above wanted to swing like old lanterns, but stood statued in the night. The street light wanted to flicker like old gas lights, 
but beamed to the beat of the city power grid. The raised source of light on the edge of the road wanted to wander like the giant it was, blink like a cyclops should, but was frozen in place by all the formalities of the modern world. It wanted to twinkle because it was, if nothing else, a wannabe star, some kind of small-town kid singing the big city music, but could only buzz like flies lashed to shit on the side of the road. Jack looked up. He had never looked into the bulb of a streetlight before. Passed through, swam light, bottled inside his lungs, warmed his night flesh, yes, but never looked up. There's a lot of dead bugs in there. Yeah, Billy said slowly. I never noticed. Jack's voice fell into his eyes. Billy looked up directly into the space he'd always considered the bastion against the dark, the sanctuary against the night, like the cathedrals and monasteries were sanctuaries for the dark ages. Back in the blown spark of 999 years ago history, after Rome, when people pissed and squatted in the ramshackled mementos of the Imperium, beat down daily by ruins that whispered something snide about life having been much better, and in being much better, inferring that day was much, much worse. Back when all the learning of Rome, the literature of Greece, Back when Mixolydian modes and Galenic medicine and Caesarean statecraft and Aristotelian philosophy had all retreated into the monasteries and would have been lost forever if not for the church, if not for monks and friars and clerics who still held dead and dying languages and copied ancient text. Yes, thought Billy, back when intelligence was a very fragile thing. Why, yes, the Dark Ages weren't so far away, weren't so foreign from suburban streets at night. And Billy had always somehow felt this in his bones, without realizing it. The street lights were a lot like the monasteries of the Dark Ages, something out in the wilderness, forgotten, unseen, not paid attention to, but holding the light, keeping the night away until the sun could come back. Billy, however, was watching the world go through a plot twist before his eyes, because there, above him, in the space he had always accepted, as a sanctatorium against the missing sun was simmering cemetery of a million dead bugs. A kettle graveyard put on the stove because that was what light was, wasn't it? A kind of hot water, once pure, but filtered through a hundred thousand dead bug carcasses like a kind of reaper dust tea bag. The street lamps had long masqueraded as keepers of the light, but were really daddy long legs slaughterhouses. 
Something to salt quiet neighborhood streets with the grit and spittle of a million dead houseflies. Yes, Billy saw the street lights differently now. The street lamp was something that climbed the sky like steeples. Sure, but was rather something to scare the pigeons. And wasn't it true? Hadn't he never once seen a pigeon resting on the street lamp? Pigeons, the closest bird to man, a creature were like the good, solid earth, more than the sky, really. But he had seen crows perched on street lights. Yes, whole murders of crows and starlings. The homicidal sociopaths of birds. Just the type of bird that would feel rested after sitting above a cemetery showcase, an insect house of horrors. Jack and Billy suddenly felt very, very different. Jack, yeah, I want to go home. Me too, Billy. Home was around the corner, only around the corner, but their voices were quiet. Almost like they were talking to people adrift somewhere across night hills. The two boys looked into the night outside the cone of light, looked at themselves in the teabag drip of dead bug light. Unsure which of the darkness was worse. Frantic to jump, but not knowing where to jump. This night. That night. And Billy thought he heard a tune in his head. Something from childhood singing. This night, that night, this night, that night. Won't you join the night? But it was not a song in his head. It was the music of a plastic sack on the wind. The boys stood steeping in the amber cone, a cadaverous cricket tea, wondering where the little street musicians of night had gone, missing the crickets, knowing where they were, above, dead. Filtering light particles to downdrift on their shoulders like dandruff. Above them, yes, the boys missed the crickets and knew they stood in the pissant shower of their deadness. Some kind of lost, stupid, old hat, pedestrian, funeral. Yes, pedestrian and yet invisible to all the night walkers of suburban streets. Invisible to the boys. Until tonight, the boys missed the homespun wisdom of cricket chatter. But the crickets were dead, frying in the small fluorescent hum of the street light above. And without the crickets, it was too goddamn quiet. And the boys could hear all sorts of things. Even the radio interference rasp of a plastic sack on parade 
something in league with the wind and drifting AM FM static coming down the street and the boys could only watch the corner ears thrown open listening to small quiet streets become a turnpike a toll road a highway to some kind of horse shambling on the shadows of bread money Billy reached for Jack's hand. Jack reached for Billy's hand. The toy throat of a distressed kite called out to their boy ears. But Billy knew, Jack knew, it was the call of sirens. It wasn't a kid's friend asking for help from a tree. It was a plastic sack. The boy stood still, very still, under a more still street light, something that downboard the boys with the expired summer night flesh of even more still insects. Millie's hand gripped tighter. Jack's hand gripped tighter. Out of sight, around the corner, the kite pled for help, sobbing off in the dry fall vember night. The cracked and fried voice coming in and out of tune like a radio dial fiddled to frequency. Help. Help. Around the corner, the boys knew a plastic sack mimicked a dead kite, using old radio static for a voice, crying over the little world of asphalt and tar, concrete and plotted lawns. Help. Help. thinking the same thing. Help. 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 I'm standing in a street light strained through dead fly wings, but I can't leave because something worse is coming this way. And then something worse came their way. Around the corner shambled a white plastic sack. Empty, but looking guilty of carousing with yellow newspapers, wilted candy wrappers, burnt cigarettes, chewed gum, crushed beer cans, used condoms. Moving like Billy imagined the ghost of some mafia member given a pair of cement shoes and thrown into the Hudson might walk. Airy as a ghost. Weighed down by the big bad boot exit for mortality. He jerked towards them, spectre light and boot heavy, up in the wind, down to the road, twitched 
to the night, smashed to the street, like a fly with broken wings trying to fly, coming, coming, coming for the boys.